Thanks, team. Um, for um, your love and your faithfulness. It's been an awesome morning. Um, since coming here, I'm just like floored you know, by how much and how often and how consistent he's been speaking. And he is speaking. He is continually talking to each and every one of us from the Holy of Holies that is within each and every one of you. And in the Holy of Holies as it's in his presence when the people of God comes together. Um, my role this morning is just to reiterate what has already been spoken. It's amazing, like, you know, hearing um, the prayers that came this morning and how people have already prayed and spoken to the message that was to be delivered and how the, the praise team has led us in worship. And it's, again, speaking to the very same message. And I'm here to just reiterate what he's been speaking and what he's been sharing and what he wants in his heart for all of us. Know um, that you are his beloved children, you know, um, children of the Most High. And there's so much that he wants you to know and so much that he wants you to come into. And so um, it is his pleasure to reveal himself and to reveal you know, all that he has in himself to you. You know, the Bible speaks of mysteries. Um, and mysteries not in the sense that it is something that cannot be known and understood, but mysteries in the sense that it is something that is secret and hidden that is imparted only to those who are initiated and those who are instructed. And this is the mysteries that God continues to unfold to his church, to his people, his ways, the way that he deals with his church, the way that he deals with each of us, that is hidden, but to his people, they are plain and they are simple. And this is what has been spoken of Sunday after Sunday, year after year in this family. And the secret and mystery that has constantly been unfolding in greater and greater measure. Um, Christ in us, the hope of glory, is one of those mysteries that the Apostle Paul said um, that Jesus revealed to him. The other one is the mystery of the Christ, of Christ and his bride. And this is not a mystery, that is, this is a, a secret that has been hidden um, in the past, but in the, perf- in the fullness of time, now, he has made it known. For us, not just as an additional info to put into our repertoire of info that we have, but for the church to be revealed, um, to be walked out and to be displayed for all to see. Um, and so, if you, lead, if you read, that is what a mystery is. You know? we, we love um, mystery novels. We love uh, suspense movies. The sense that because we know that even though at the start we don't know anything, there will come a time that we will find something about it. Because if, why would you read a book if you end up more confused or more <laughs> bewildered than you started? That's not what a mystery is. And, and so that is why everything that God has done, even from the past, it's building up to that. He is slowly 
revealing it again and again. And this is the mystery that I think has the, 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 the prophets of old, the patriarchs of old have seen, not all of them have seen, but they all look forward to this. And this is all that, that is what, what he wants us to do as well and to see and to look forward to. So that's um, Christ in us, the hope of glory. My message this morning is on um, the glory within. Um, well, trying to um, talk to God about what He wants us, what He wants me to talk. Um, my 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 spirit like focus on zone in on glory, and and so I I was uh, trying to think of what what is glory. You know, um, we all have our definitions, our own impressions of what glory is. For me, what first comes to mind is, you know, lights and shining brightness, you know, renown, what is, uh, what is, thing that's glory. But there is a, a greater glory that God wants to show us. Hallelujah. A glory that, um, again, is also a mystery, which was hidden, but is to be revealed. Um, he being um, the inquisitive person that I am, wanted to look at what glory means in, 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 in Hebrew and in, in the Greek and so on. And this is what they came up with. And it is no different from the glory that you'll find in the dictionary. And so glory is um, kavod, and in its essence, it's weight. You know, um, A person who is glorious carries weight. You know, He is important. He is... Uh, someone that um, is um, is um, deserving of honor and deserving of praise, um, just like what Chris prayed this morning. So, until we come to a point when we can grasp the full majesty of Him, we would have not appreciated His glory. The other glory is in the Greek is in the New Testament. It's doxa. And I think this is where the word doxology comes from, or worship. And it speaks of renown. It speaks of opinion. A person who's glorious will also be one of great renown, um, have a, a favorable opinion, not man's opinion, and which we'll find out later. Um, and then the last one is Shekinah, which is the physical manifestation of glory. And so you could see, like, uh, in physical example, a king, his crown is his shekinah. You know, the, the land that he owns, you know, the, the areas that he governs, that's his shekinah. Um, when, when God came upon Mount Horeb, the mountain trembled, and there was fire and brimstone, terrifying for people. Um, and when, when God descended upon the physical temple, it was clouded with a certain sense of weightiness that people could not stand. And so that is the Shekinah. And in, in, in presently, you could have heard of you know, the, the glory of God come upon the church in worship, that healings would break out, and miracles and signs and wonders you know, would come. But the interesting thing about Shekinah is it's rooted from the word shakhan, which means dwelling. The external glory is of no useless without the dwelling that's in there. So the weight brings 
the external sign. And without the dwelling, without the person, you will not see the external. So it's not just about trying to look for the external. Because the external will always point you to the internal. And that is what we look at. Um, I'd like us to go through, because um, when I heard glory, the first thing that came to mind was this man in the Old Testament who wanted to see God's glory. And I think we know who he is. And so, so let's have a look at him. So it's, it's, it's in Exodus chapter 33. It's a, few, it's a long verse, uh, a long chapter to read. But um, I'm going to read it nonetheless. There are parts that I've highlighted just for emphasis purposes. But, you know, understand that this is a mystery, and um, you could just go through it. But I think we'll read it through the context of Revelation, to the context of what it is now and how it means to us. And so Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting because it's where he meets with God. Everyone who brought the Lord, who sought the Lord, would go to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it was about whenever Moses went into the tent, that all the people would arise and stand at the entrance of the tent and gaze after Moses until he entered. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, the external manifestation of God's glory, would descend and, and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Then all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and then all the people would arise, and they would worship each at the entrance of the tent. Now the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. How awesome would it be that he would speak to you in that manner, in his external form? It could be Jesus in the form, we don't know, but he would, God would do that. And Moses returned to the camp, and his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man who would not depart from the tent. Then Moses went to see, said to the Lord, Lord, you said to me, bring up these people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said that I have known you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. And now this is Moses' prayer. He said, now I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, then let me know your ways, that I may know you so that I may find favor in my sight. What is the first goal of the rock? To know him. Not just to be satisfied by the external display, but to seek his ways. And the interesting thing about Moses' prayer here, it it doesn't start with, let me know you so that I may find favor. It starts with, let me, because I have favor in you, then let me know you so that I may have favor in you. You know, it starts from the end. The favor of God brings about the knowing of him. Consider, too, um, that this this nation is your people. And and God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Who said, I will give you rest? Jesus. Um, Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lease us from here. And from, from, for how then will it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the peoples of the earth? 
you know, the presence of God is a sign of his favor. Um, it's a sign of intimacy. You know, the Holy Spirit was given as a seal and as a sign that he is with us. And, as, and, and, did, um, and this is what Moses said. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight and I have known to you by name. And then Moses prayed this again. He now goes from showing me your ways. He says, show me your glory. You see a progression here from acts to ways to glory. And there is a a, a progression that I think what God wants us to move on. Um, It's not just an act. It's knowing his heart and his manner. At the same time, more and more, it's knowing who he is. And God says, um, and so God says, yes, I will do that. I myself will make my goodness pass before you, and I will tell you what my glory is. Um, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, he said, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. But the Lord says, you will not see my face, for no man can see me and live. Terrifying. You shall see it in the first instance. But you will, we will come to know now is that death is a necessary requirement to see the face of God. You know, when, when Paul said, you know, let us come to see him face to face. But Paul also said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul said, I die daily because I, my body carries, you know, the death of Christ. So that the life of Christ, the glory of God can be revealed in me. Um, and the Lord said, behold, there is a place beside me. Who sits beside him? Um, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will, be, it will come about that while my glory is passing by, I will put you on the cleft inside the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. And I will make my, take my hand away, but this time you will only see my back, for my face will not be seen. And so that was a time, but there was a, a period afterwards when the Lord said, Now, Moses, cut for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, that I will write on the tablet the words that were in the former tablets which you have shattered. So be ready by morning and come up to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there with me. Oh, sorry. Um... No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere near the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not gaze in front of the mountain. And so he cut two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai that the Lord has commanded him, and he took the two stone tablets with him. The Lord descended on the cloud, as he has promised, and he stood there, and as Moses called upon the Lord, the Lord's glory the Lord's goodness passed in front of him, and the Lord revealed what his glory was. He said, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives sins, transgressions, and sin, and yet he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. He is also justice in himself for those who don't repent. Visiting the iniquity of fathers and the children to the children's children 
for up to the third and fourth generation. Upon the revelation of God's glory, Moses had no choice but to bow his head down to the earth and worship. And Moses said, If I now have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray that the Lord go among our midst, even through the people who are so obstinate, forgive our sins, and make us your own possession. And Paul says that we are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation. We are God's own possession. And so, and so there are first, remember those three things of glory that I've talked about. You know, the weight of glory, who is himself. You know, the opinion of God, his glory as well, and his dwelling. And so all of this you can see as, the, as we were reading um, the, Bible, the, the verses. You'll see all of this interplay. You see how Moses saw how important and weighty God was, that he would never depart from him. You know, he would never consider life apart from the Lord. And you will see how um, God spoke, speaks of his glory, his opinion of himself. And you also see how God dwelled you know, in, in, on the mountain at the same time, now on, on, with us. So God alone is weighty because he alone is holy, righteous. He is truth, he is good, and he is gracious. And this is something that we probably need to settle in our minds. There is no one... Um, like him, you know. If you were to create two separate groups, you will have one area where all created things are, as included the world, angels, even the devil, you know, that's one. And there's another group that only he belongs. And that's where he is. That's, that's the reason that makes him holy. And, so the, and, and, and this other group would never at all become him. Because this other group would never have its own righteousness. It never has its own holiness. As Jesus himself said, no one is good except the Father. And until we come to that point of acceptance that we are nothing apart from him, we would never have started the journey. You know? He has to break us down. He has to come to that very end of who he is. And therefore, because of who he is, he alone deserves the glory, he alone deserves the highest pleasure. Now, if he is holy and righteous and truth and good, then how do we, who belongs to this group, become like him? There's only one way, because there's a very big crevasse that separates us. You know, uh, even Paul, uh, we on this side can make our own definition of good and righteous, and we can list down things that we think we do and, and, and claim that we are righteous. But even the Apostle Paul, who is a Pharisee, who, uh, in, 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 who probably has seven degrees, uh, seven, an equivalent of seven math doctoral degrees, and who has followed all the, the, the laws and stuff in form, he said his righteousness was filthy rags. That's how, you know, how different our righteousness is before the Lord. Um, and so filthy, in fact, that rags, it's like his righteousness in, in, in modern terms is like a used tampon. That's how he compared his righteousness and how we compared our righteousness. So we cannot be as he is. So the only way for God, for us to have his righteousness is that he possessed us. 
He owns us. And, 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 and um, it's hard to understand. And, um, and um, I had this thing dropped in me in staff meeting one time right, a few weeks ago where we were talking about righteousness. And now Greg said, you know, we have to know how righteous we are in the Lord. And at the time, I think we had, you know, the royal couple who was Megan and Harry visit New Zealand. And then God made me to think about, you know, how Megan is a commoner like us who was married into the royal family. And so royalty is something that Megan does not possess and will never possess on her own. So no matter how hard she would try, she may excel in her academics, she may even give her life in war and die for the country, but she will never be royal, you know. The only way that she could get royalty is because someone who is royal fall in love with her, offered his hand to take her in, and she married into that family. And so that is the only way um, that she became royal. And so if, if God were in this class where he is holy, he is righteous, he alone is good, the only way for us to be good and righteous is not of our own, we, because we don't have anything to, to give. It's him owning us. It's him bringing us in and him taking us on board. Um, we cannot, yeah, so in the same way, let, um, Megan may have an ordinary childhood. She may have, you know, her, her family issues with her father and so on, but that doesn't matter. It is relevant, irrelevant to, to Harry. So Harry married her because he loved her. And so because of that, she gained royalty. And in her being royal, it just opened up a new world to her. Because you have people, millions of people would love her and admire her, you know, and, and, and so on. But even though there are days when she will feel like she wanted to just stay in bed and so on, it doesn't change her royalty at all. But it doesn't mean that if you're royal, it gives you license to also do whatever you want. The royalty that is bestowed on you carries with it a certain work as well. And the work that you do doesn't diminish royalty, but it just expands. It just highlights it. And so in Exodus 3, when God says, you know, the ground is holy, Moses, it's not because the ground has anything holy in it. It is because God is there, and because God is there, then the ground is holy. Um. We cannot, therefore, attain a righteousness apart from Christ. You know, we cannot be righteous independent of Him. And so, because Christ, as it says in Hebrew, is the radiance of His glory, God, of God's glory, the exact representation of His nature, um, who upholds all things by the word of His power, and when He has made the purification for our souls, uh, for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Shekinah of the Father. He is the manifestation of the Father's glory. And because of that, because of the Father dwelling in him, he is able to demonstrate it to the world. This is the way that he also wants us to be. That we, can, we become the image of God, not just in form, but also in, in substance. The second thing is opinion. 
So what is God's glory? And this is what he said of himself. He said that he is a righteous God. He is loving and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in, in loving kindness and grace and truth, which is Jesus is. He was full of grace and truth, um, who forgives sins, and he also does, um, is also um, justice and does not leave the guilty unpunished. God also has another opinion as well of his son. And so when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And in the process as he came up, the father said, Well, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God has spoken his glory of himself, and he has also spoken his glory of his son. And so the greatest glory of the Son is the Father. The greatest glory of the Father is the Son. There's no other thing. God would not be God if, he's, if He um, loves anyone less than the Son. And so that's, the, that's why it's the Son's desire to, to, to seek the Father. And likewise, in the same way it is the bride's desire for her husband as well as the groom's desire for his bride. And so there's a, a, a saying that says, the excellence of a soul is measured by the object of its affections. And so God is therefore the one who is most worthy of pursuit. So looking at this, there's a few questions. Is who do you say God is? You know, because he has already revealed his opinion, his glory to us. Um, who is he to you? Who is he to me? You know, who do we say uh, he is, and who does he say we are? You know. Whenever I worship, he always, you know, speaks to me in my heart. Is you know, who do I? Who am I to you? What is this revelation of me that I have birth in you? And he wants to hear that from us, not just with the words of our mouth. But, you know, the actual demonstration and transformation of a life. That's the highest worship. That's the highest worship that we can give him. So it says that do our theology align with our doxology? Um, and the other way is whose opinion matters? You know? If God says that you are holy, you are holy. If God says that you're righteous, you are righteous. If God says that you are beloved of Him, you are beloved of Him, there should be no reason to believe otherwise. You know, in the, Paul said that in the latter days, God, people will replace God's glory, God's opinion, with man's opinion. You know, the church of Laodicea that did that. Um, so the question is, who do we seek? The third one is the dwelling place of God. Um, but before that... Um, let's, let's talk about this first. It says, because of sin, man has fallen short of the glory of God. And so he, glory, he has fallen short of the weight of God because he's lost his relationship with the one who is the most important, most glorious. He has lost his identity because he didn't know who he was. He lost God's, who God said he was and who God says he is, a man is. And lastly, he lost the dwelling place of God. And this morning, you know, the incident with the cups in communion. 
You know, that's what's one way of speaking it. We are cups, really. Uh, we are meant to carry His presence. And that is our identity from the very beginning. We cannot exist without Him. We cannot live independent of Him. He is to fill us. And if you have experienced like being in a place where you have left your wallet, no money, you know, you feel so vulnerable. Or if you go to a foreign country where, who, you know, no one speaks a word of English, that's how vulnerable you are. And so when man decided that he wants to be God and told God, no, thanks you, this is what man became. <laughs> and, 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 and it might be strange, but, you know, he, it's, he felt naked, basically. And that's why God, you know, Adam and Eve felt naked. But, you know, it's strange that God didn't see that nakedness. God felt, God said, God missed the relationship. Because God said, I, I, I'm not no longer in you, you know, where are you? But this is what men um, became. And it's true that even today, there's, in the spirit, there's this form of nakedness that exists. And men will try to, <laughs> to do all things to cover his nakedness. You know, to become his identity. Because you could become... Um, and those things are not bad in themselves. You know, if you, if you really feel so naked, then this is the next best thing to do. <laughs> you, know, you could become, you know, a superhero, um, find your identity in what you do, um, in religiosity, in, 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 in the works. You know, we, 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 we go about, you know, helping people and, you know, helping people who are blind, who are naked, who need food. But the reality is from God's sight, we are naked. We are blind, and we needed food. And the only thing that we also desire to realize is that you know, the glory, our clothing, is not what we put on. It's actually what comes out of us. You know, it's, it's interesting that when you look at the created things of the world, all the animals, they have their clothing built inside of them, and they come out, um, you know, the Logans, they have this cute dog, uh, Paris, you know, he's, it's like he's covered in carpet. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, it's lovely. And you see those birds like this, and which is why um, um, God said that even Solomon in all his glory was not dressed like one of these. And he went to say, seek first my kingdom. Because if you would like to be dressed in God's glory... He's, he is the first point of call. Um, so, and I think it's also interesting why, of all God's creation, man is is the only um, animal that needs clothes. Had you wondered that? You know, there might be a spiritual significance there because other creatures glorify God through the things that came out of them, but man has reserved. To have the God of glory clothe him. You know, that is what we're meant to be. So what are we wearing then? What is our clothes? You know, it could not necessarily have to be, you know, the, the, the beautiful stuff and all the things. But sometimes even things like, you know, disabilities and, and failures and sins. This is something that people would clothe on. Um, 
But like blind Bartimaeus, whose cloak was his identity, when he realized that he needed Christ, he threw his cloak away and he went to, to, to him, to heaven's field. You know, the what image is on us. You know, when the disciples, uh, when the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus and asking him, do they need to pay taxes? Jesus said, check the coin and see what image was on the coin and you give to Caesar what is Caesar's. The question is, if we are coins, what image is on us? And we give of ourselves to what image is on us, to Christ. So Christ in us is our substance, and he is our banner, he is our armor. We have been hearing that in Sunday night banquet. He is our righteousness, he is our salvation. He is the very wedding clothes that we will wear when we come and see him. You know, he is our identity, he is our position, and he is our reality. Hebrews 1.3, so let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.13-20, he said, Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is now one in spirit with him. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, and whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. And Jesus made that sacrifice for us so that we would be one with him. In the oneness of God that God desires for us is a very close type of oneness. It is, I think, more closer than the oneness that your physical body has with your soul? Can you separate your physical body with your soul? You can't. But there are times you struggle, right? Dieting is what, you know, your, your physical body would want something else, but, you know, you have to control it. You have to discipline it. You know, athletes would do that. They would discipline their physical body and so on. And you can imagine if you have that oneness with God in such a way as well, that he is in you, so much so that not only your physical body, but your soul as well is subjected to him and, and, and what he wants you to be. Now, let's go to the, the last, I think, few, yeah, last few parts. Is when, when we say that, you know, the Exodus 33 is just a um, mystery that um, is to be revealed. Paul mentioned this in 2 Corinthians 3, 4. He says, Such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, and our adequacy is from God. So Paul understands this glory. He knows that he does not of himself you know, have any glory except the one that, what the glory that God gives him. So, he also made us as adequate as servants of this new covenant, not of the letter of the, of, of the of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, the the, the ones in stones, in letters and graves of stones, came with glory, because they came from the Lord, right? And so they were there, there's glory on them. So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, 
fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit who is in you now fail to be even more glorious? Because the, the, the ministry of the law was an external one, but the ministry of the Spirit is one that is living within you. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? For indeed, what glory, what had glory is in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. And if for that which fades away was with glory, how much more that which remains in glory. And therefore we have such a hope. We use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end that was fading away. But their minds were hardened for till this day at the readings of the old covenant the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day whenever Moses is read a veil lies over their heart but whenever a person turns to the Lord in repentance, that veil is taken away. Now that the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit is, there is freedom. And we, with all unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror, the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. I can only think of an example here. Is You know, you have those... Uh, um, go in the dark things. As kids, we, we, you know, we, we love them, and so we hang them, we put them on the walls, and as you turn the lights on, they would glow. But the glow in the dark things would capture light, but doesn't have a light of its own. And so as it would glow instantly, but after a while, it fades and disappears. But the glow in the dark is nothing compared to having the light bulb in you. You know, that the bulb will always be on, and, and so light will always be there. And so that's how different the old contract is from the new covenant. You know, the old contract was fading, but the new covenant, it says, is increasingly glowing. Because that's how the nature of God is. That's the nature of truth. When the truth comes into you, truth will only multiply. It will try to consume all aspects of you until you are filled with truth, with, filled with glory. The external contract was physical because meeting God face to face and stuff. But now it's spiritual. It resided in a temple of stone, just like what Solomon built. And God himself said that he doesn't live in stone and a, a building of stones. But he did that as an example. But now we are his temple. Um, um, the temple was then built by man. Now Jesus builds his church. Um, it was written on tablets of stone. Now the Holy Spirit builds, writes his letter in the tablets of our heart. It was a contract, you know, you have to do this for this and so on. Because man at that time didn't have truth in him to be able to do a covenant. But now, because the spirit of truth is in you, you can live a life of covenant, a life of fruit and of substance. The initial law was resulted in death because God was external. It was, you could have the form, but there's no life in it. Now the new covenant, living in the Spirit, brings life. In the old days, God left the temple. There was a time in Israel 
I think in Ezekiel, that said that the glory of God left the physical temple. It was a sad day for Israel because you know what Israel, what Moses said, you know, the only thing that distinguishes Israel from the rest of the world was the presence of God. In that case, the presence of God in the temple. To lose God is to lose your light, is to lose your saltiness. And that is the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. But now in the new covenant, God promised that he will never leave you. You can imagine you being a temple with the Holy of Holies inside and God constantly being there. And when God is there, heaven is there, rest is there, peace is there, joy is there, righteousness is there, everything is there. And when these people gather, his presence is also in in the midst. Um, In the old, you can only see his back, but now we can always behold his face as much as we want, as often as we want. In the old, he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. Now we are hidden in Christ. In the old, it was just a form only. Now it's both a form and substance. The glory of God is our sanctification. It's part of our sanctification. Um, my dear wife had this picture of, of the process of sanctification. Um, and I tried to find, and surprising that you can find a lot of things on the internet. He said, we are like, you know, um, bottles, cups, you know, that have been immersed for so long in water that we got covered with barnacles. And, you know, knowing barnacles, just how stick and how hard they are, how ingrained they are. But the process of God's spirit in us is removing those barnacles. It's not just to move us from a point when we become clear bottles. Uh, that is not just the end, because... That's just the beginning because the goal of God is so that he will feel his church. He will feel all of us to the fullness of him. Ephesians says that we may know the love of God which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This should be our hope and our dream and our ambition, this should be um, what we're striving for and giving our lives to, because this is the only thing that matters. And in Revelation, it's very clear. You know, it said, it said in the holy city, the same city that Abraham saw, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, that he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty. The Lamb are its temple. The city has no need for the sun or the moon or to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and the lamp is the Lamb. You see, it talks about the tabernacle, and then it says that there's no tabernacle, you know. Because the tabernacle is not a physical structure. The tabernacle is in the people of God. You know, when we talk about clothing, you are clothed in Christ, and Christ is clothed in you. The Bible speaks about the Father being in us, and we are in Him. You know, that's, that's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something, you know, quite amazing to think about. Now, we know that the world is getting darker and darker. Um, we know um, that there is darkness, there's wrath, there's despair, 
But these things are not our enemies. You know, they are not, it is never the position of the church to complain about the darkness. It is never even the position of the church to fight it. You know, the only thing that the church can do is to shine, to be the light and the salt, to let the glory that is Him in you shine forth. Um, so if you look at those three things that we've talked about, glory, glory is the Spirit of God, the Word of God, what God has said, that is at work within you. So Christ in us is our light, is, is our hope. But the Christ in the church is the light and the hope of the world. You know, all creation is waiting for the church to be filled to its fullness of God. It's waiting for that cup to overflow, <laughs> to be splashed around as what was prayed this morning. And so that's what God wants of each and every one of us. So it's time, I think, for the church to arise. This awake, arise from the death, for Christ will shine on you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You know, if you, have, if you look at this and look at John chapter 17 again, you will you'll just be amazed at what Jesus was saying. Father, the glory, you know, your presence, the word, your revelation that you have given me, I have given them. You know, they'll glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Let that be our prayer um, this morning and every single day of our lives. Thank you, everyone. Let's pray. Father, we just worship you. Lord, we stand in awe of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, um, just so much joy in us, Lord, to be able to, you know, there's no, we cannot contemplate with our minds, Lord, the depth of your love and, Lord, the work and the things that you have done, Lord, to bring about all the things that you have done through your Son. Lord, I pray, Lord, in the words of your Son, Lord, that you, as you have revealed your glory to your Son, and as your Son has revealed your glory to us, Lord, enable us to live, Lord, this glory, and let enable us to shine forth, that people will see your works and would glorify you, that, that your opinion of you, Lord, will be their opinion of you as they see and even as what Greg has shared in the weeks before, that we may be their letter, Lord. A letter, Lord, that would speak to people of, of your love and of your glory, Lord God, of who you truly are. Thank you, God, for everything that you have done. Enable us to walk and to live up, Lord, to walk according to this righteousness and this holiness that you have already given us. Father, um, when you said, be holy for I am holy, Lord, the holiness is not of us. It's already given to us. And we all, just like Megan, Lord, we all just have to live up to it. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.